Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. Stephen Pritchard, Catalonia has voted to secede from Spain and they may in fact be announcing, uh, well, to go independent perhaps rather than secede. I don't know what the difference is. But they may be announcing that as early as next week. What do you think would happen economically if our region were to think about doing that? Well, well, there is provision under the Australian Constitution to form new states. And I, I think, you know, if Newcastle and the Hunter Valley region formed a new state, I, I think it would be one of the wealthiest states in Australia. I mean, you know, all the all the property that's currently owned by the state government would, would fall into the new state of whatever we're going to call it, Newcastle. <laughs> and, and, you know, all the coal royalties that are presently being going, the billions in coal royalties that are presently going to Sydney, um, all the other revenue that's coming out of this area in, in land tax and and uh, stamp duties and all that would belong to the local region to be spent in the local region. So so I think the issue is that, you know, the, the state government's collecting, you know, there's 20% of the population of New South Wales lives in this area, and I think there's some stats floating around that less than five to five to ten percent of the government expenditures done in this area. So I think I think we'd be far better off, to be honest. How big would the area need to be? Would it need to go all the way up to the places that uh, ship things out? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Newcastle wouldn't be big enough to support its own, but but I think but I think you know you just took in the Hunter Valley. I think that would be big enough. Even That's big. It's bigger yeah. than Tasmania, and the GDP in the Hunter is a lot larger than Tasmania. And Tasmania seems to survive as a state, <laughs> and actually. There's countries, there's countries, there's countries overseas that are that are that are that are smaller than um, the Hunter Valley, so and they they they're financially viable as a state. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There's a thought. <laughs> the interesting concept. I think there'd be a bit of panic in Sydney if all that revenue stopped flowing down there. <laughs> it's quite likely. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, well, in the meantime, uh, speaking about revenue, currencies and commodities. Uh, currencies, commodities. Um, the gold price, the gold price was down a bit uh, to sixteen hundred and twenty-one dollars an ounce. Uh, the copper price was up one point four percent to eight thousand two hundred and fifty-five dollars a ton, and the crude oil price was down three point three percent to seventy dollars and ninety cents a barrel. Um, the currency, the Australian dollar, was was up marginally against the US dollar to seventy-eight point six one US cents. Um, we're up one point six percent against the Great British Pound to 54.4 pence. And against the euro, we're up 2.9% to 66.86 euro cents. Um, the the All Ordinaries Index um, was down marginally on the wheat by 0.04% to 5,729. Somehow I don't think it's going to get to 6,000 by Christmas. Mm. Um, and the... Uh, S&P 500 was up 1.1% to 2,537. And the UK index was up almost two percent to seven thousand four hundred sixty-seven. Um, some some stocks that local investors trying to look at. Um, BHP was up two point three percent to twenty-six dollars and eighteen. CBA was up 0.6% to $75.59. And there's a continual exit of senior staff at uh, CBA, which is interesting, isn't it? And uh, NIB was steady at $5.78. And, and Telstra, uh, yeah, the one red spot here, continues to drift away down another 1.4% to $3.43. And people don't remember, it was only 18 months or so that Telstra was $6. So it just shows what happens when people buy a stock and, and, and think the dividends are going to go on forever and buy the stock for the dividends and don't watch them and then the dividend gets cut, 
or rumours that the dividend gets cut, and then the dividend actually gets cut, the, the stock price is almost half. Mm. So I think Telstra is now trading on a yield of about 9% at the moment. Mm. Mm. So, um, and the fuel price? Fuel price. Well, price. we weren't the only ones who thought the fuel was going to go up over the long weekend. The NRMA came out and said they thought it was too. That and was did before. it? It didn't much, did oh. it? So anyhow, if it did, if it, if it did, it's gone back down. So it's a dollar twenty-two and a dollar twenty-two point five cents a litre today in Newcastle, and a dollar seven, a dollar twenty point seven cents in Sydney, which is down three percent in Sydney. And the diesel price in Newcastle is a dollar twenty-seven a litre, and in Sydney is a dollar twenty-four a litre. So I suppose it remains to be seen if it does go up for the last weekend of the school holidays or That's people right. coming back to, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. And time for our market update, Stephen Pritchard, with Henry Jennings, Senior Commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Hi, Henry. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you? Good. You're back in Sydney? I am back in Sydney. Escape to Melbourne. <laughs> no, Sydney is, uh, Sydney is my home and... Uh, Back here, I only go to Melbourne once a month, usually, okay. or, even, or even less. Okay. So I can't blame you there. So um, beach, beach energy shares, they've been a, 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 high, a year's high earlier in the week um, on, on the acquisition of the lattice gas fields from Origin? Um, yeah, they bought, uh, it's, this is a big deal for beach. They're only a sort of a $1.5 billion company, and they, they paid one and a half, well, nearly $1.6 billion for a thing called Lattice Energy, which is a uh, West Australian uh, gas and oil uh, business that they're buying off uh, Origin Energy, um, who are looking to reduce debt and sell some of their non-core assets. The stock went absolutely ballistic after the uh, announcement. They raised uh, they raised some money, and they didn't raise enough um, to pay for it. They only raised, I think, about 300 million bucks, but they have got Kerry Stokes and the Seven Group behind them, so that, and they, um, they took up their entitlement, and Instos seem to be pretty happy with the deal. Um, I guess it puts Beach into the big league, and um, yeah, the stock's drifted back from around sort of the mid-90s to the mid-80s at the moment. It's, uh, the, um, the capital raising was done at 75 cents. There's probably a little bit of uh, profit-taking for some of the guys that picked up the stock at 75 cents, but um, yeah, it's looking quite promising for them. And um, and short sellers seem to be targeting Woolworths about some concerns about a developing price war. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's developing. I think it's developed. Um, yeah, um, Woolies obviously they've got some uh, some issues uh, in terms of uh, competition with Aldi and also with Coles, and they have put a lot of money into um, you know, revamping stores and subsidising some of the, uh, the prices in their stores as well. So, um, and they also got um, they're doing a deal with BP with um, some of their petrol stations as well, um, which the ACCC has uh, pushed out a decision on until the end of November, which has weighed a little bit. But certainly, um, the shorts tend to um, like to play in this area, and um, you know, they like to, um, to sell shares they don't own to try and buy them back cheaper. And um, they've certainly been doing it in some of the retail stocks, and Woolworths falls into that basket. And of course, it's got the um, the problem with um, with Amazon coming down the pipe as well. So currently, there's around uh, 4.8 percent of the stock shorted, which has just crept up a little bit. So uh, still um, still not huge amounts compared to some, but it's a significant amount, nearly five percent. Mm, going for a stock like Woolworths. Yes. And uh, another stock that if you shorted, you'd done very well at is <laughs> f- fantastic firm, f- fantastic furniture now, cl- fantastic, sorry, uh, claims yeah. that the worst is over after reporting its fourth consecutive loss. Yeah, welcome to 
belonged to the House of Fun, yes. not. Um, it's got a, an unfortunate stock code, F-U-N, um, and it hasn't been any fun at all for um, for shareholders. Stocks currently trading at 06 uh, of a cent, so um, not particularly good. The results weren't particularly good. Um, they sell toys, and they used to have some good brand names as part of their stable, but they lost a lot of licensing on that, um, and they have been losing money for some time, and although they keep saying they've turned the corner, there just seems to be another corner in front of them, so I'm not sure the outlook is particularly um, particularly fun for Fantastic um, going forward. It's, um, I guess it's a, it's a tough market uh, being any retailer at the moment, but it's uh, even harder, I suspect, selling toys. It's only capitalised at $14 million now, so um, they do have some problems, and you can't help but feel that maybe um, at some stage it's not going to go too well for them. Mm. And it might even end up with, um, with somebody else looking after the stock. Well, that's right. Uh, Jerry Harvey's a shareholder in there, isn't he? Yeah. No, I think so, yeah. yeah. So he might be able to do the Harvey Norman magic on them. Anyhow. Well, they haven't had much magic either in terms of the share price either. They've been uh, they've been heading downwards. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's not been much fun for any retailers at the moment. No, no. And, and insurers, for that matter. Well, yeah, it's, it's a funny one. I mean, QBE um, got absolutely walloped the other day. Um, on the back of um, the hurricanes that have happened in the U.S., Harvey and Irma, um, they've got a big Florida-based business, and I, I find this absolutely amazing. But in the U.S., they're going um, to write off uh, 500,000 cars um, due to these uh, hurricanes, floods, etc. And uh, it's quite extraordinary how many cars they will have to be. Now, these 500,000 cars are going to need to be replaced. And insurers are going to pay out QBE as a result of these uh, these uh, weather events have uh, upped their um, liability for these catastrophes up to 1.75 billion, uh, which is, uh, I guess, a bit more than the market was expecting. They're also going to be uh, uh, taking a 600 million dollar hit to their profit number, which is going to put some things in doubt. They're currently carrying out a buyback as well. Um, so, um, you know, in terms of the balance sheet, it's going to make it a little harder to do that. The stock did drop like a rock, but it has bounced back not quite to where it was before um, the announcement, but it's, um, you know, it's getting there. It's actually one of the few sort of green spots in the market today. So um, there's obviously a few people taking a contrarian view that the worst is over, and the insurers themselves always harp on about the fact that once these disasters pass, they can um, inflict higher premiums on people. Um, to uh, to help because uh, and everyone rushed out to get insurance because they just had their cars flooded. Um, and um, Focus, uh, the ex um, MD, has come back as the chairman. Um, yeah, Vaughan <laughs> Bowen, who was the uh, the founder of M2 Communication Telecommunications, which um, Focus uh, bought, matched uh, with other purchases as well. So they've they've been on a bit of a buying spree over the last few years. Um, so they promoted uh, Vaughan Bowen to uh, to be the new chairman after David Spencer decided against standing uh, for re-election. So um, yeah, the, the board reshuffle continues at uh, at Focus. Bob Mansfield is going to become uh, deputy chairman um, and uh, the lead independent director. But certainly, you know, it does seem to be um, a lot of shuffling going on at Focus, and the share price I think is down around 60% this year. So it's not been a happy place. Um, they had a big falling out with some of the founders of uh, mm-hmm. um, some time ago. They they left the company and uh, and basically took their bat and ball and went home. And, and the share prices have 
have uh, suffered um, and they've even fallen out with their auditor at one stage and uh, couldn't get the um, the numbers ratified by the auditor so yeah it's not a happy ship round of focus and the share price is, uh, is is telling the world that as well so what's it down to now do you know um let me just have a little look Stephen. hang on um because of course it did have a couple of private equity yeah, guys yeah, that lobbed uh, lots of highly conditional bids on the, for the company, but it's now down to two dollars forty-two. So that is a long way down from uh, oh, three fifty, uh, wasn't it? The well, even equity. even a year ago they were six bucks. Ah. So um, you know they've just been staggering from one uh, one sort of um, problem to another. It's mm. not not been a happy place. Reminds me of another telco stock that was over six bucks not so long ago. Yeah, look at them now. They're they're three forty-two. So yes. I mean they're. They're heading down towards um, sub three dollars, I guess. There's still some question marks over poor old Telstra. I think you're right. Mm. And uh, another uh, overseas fund managers bought control of an Australian fund manager. Yeah, I was quite surprised about this actually. Um, uh, Investors Mutual um, had uh, an announcement that uh, Naxis is something um, is um, is buying. uh, I bought a big stake and. yeah, I, I was actually quite surprised on, on the valuation because Investors Mutual is quite a, quite a big, a well-known fund manager, but it didn't seem to be a particularly huge, huge price for the company that they were, um, were going to get it at. So, um, yeah, no, I was, um, I was quite surprised. I mean, they're looking to expand in the Asia-Pacific, and they've, got, um, they've bought uh, 40% from, uh, from uh, let's have a look, they bought um, 40% from the Pacific Current Group, which mm-hmm. used to be called Treasury Group, um, and also um, Antia Tagliaferro, who is the founder of uh, Investors Mutual, and they're, they're sort of the main man, has uh, sold his um, stake as well, so um, for $155 million in cash. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's all changed, but I would have thought, you know, $300 million bucks valuation odd for um, Investors Mutual seems quite sure. cheap. Well, it yeah. seems quite cheap compared to the, you know, you look at the valuations of something like, um, oh, shall we say Magellan, um, or, um, you know, Platinum Asset Management, it's, um, they're, they're significantly higher, okay, yeah. they may be significantly more um, funds under management, but um, I don't think they probably got a bit of a bargain, I mean, yeah. uh, Magellan's worth $4.2 billion. Yeah, I, I was surprised that Anton would sell, but anyhow. Yeah, so was I. I used to play indoor cricket with him. Um, mm. And uh, Platinum's worth $3.7 billion. Mm-hmm. So Investors Mutual, which I know is not quite in the same league, um, it seems like a mere, a mere snip mm. at, at around sort of $300, $310 million. But yeah, I'm surprised Anton sold, to be honest, because he's, you know, he's still quite a, a young, vibrant guy, and he's obviously a pretty good investor, so yes. Mm. Strange move, but there you go. I guess there comes a time in every man's life when you've got to hang up your, your boots, maybe, and take your $155 million and go and play somewhere else. Oh, you could go and buy a motorcycle. I found this company that I didn't even know existed. Motorcycle Holdings. Yeah, they've been good. They've yeah. done well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a recent... Uh, I guess it's a bit like... Um, there's a couple of other ones in the car sector, automotive holdings um, and those sorts of things. Motorcycle holdings have done very, very well. Of course, I guess it's all people like you and me, Stephen, that go out and buy Harleys and, and 
BMWs to, to, to satisfy uh, our, our middle-aged dreams. Um, but the company has, um, has has done very well recently, and they, they just bought uh, a bunch of new um, a new motorcycle accessory superstores in um, in New South Wales and Victoria. Paid 123 million for it, and again, the market um, likes this one. It's um, it's uh, it's been very popular. Stocks up to four dollars. 90 nearly and it sort of started life um, last year at 340 so done well it seems a lot of money to me eight stores for 123 men but there must be a lot of middle-aged people buying these and they're not all men by the way i, I actually know a, a lady who bought one oh, with, really? her, with her husband and they go jointly um well that's a good thing to riding do. off yes in their leather I, jackets. I think it's, it's important as, as we get older and kids leave the um leave the family home and you become empty nesters to have some some shared interests, I and, guess. And spend all the kids' money. And spend all the kids' money so they can't get hold of it. That's right. Exactly. And so Morgan Stanley has predicted um, a tough time ahead for Australian banks. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, we, we've all kind of known that uh, things are tough out there in the bank of that, mainly because the government continues to bash them. Um, they are a, a mainstay of most um, self-managed super funds and most, most investors' portfolio. You know, they make up such a large percentage of our market, and of course they pay such great dividends, but Morgan Stanley um, has uh, done some numbers and done some ringing round. I don't know if they rang round actually or sent letters, but they surveyed 1,800 houses, um, households about their debt levels, and found that that was somewhat concerning, um, that really, truly no one's saving, and there's a lot of household debt stress out there. Um, and they've downgraded bank earnings you know, 2, 3, 4, 5% in some cases. ANZ was the worst downgrade um, just because of uh, margins being squeezed and, of course, their exposure to the housing market. I guess what is significant is that these guys are you know, big international players, Morgan Stanley, and when it's not like Ord Minette or somebody locally saying, you know, sell the banks, this is uh, Morgan Stanley and that will go out worldwide. So uh, short positions have been building in the bank stocks. Um, and a, a lot of international guys use the banks as a proxy to our housing market. And, um, of course, you know, they're, they're worried about the bubble and whether it is overpriced. And so they sell the banks. But, um, yeah, so a little bit disappointing. Banking sets are still very much under pressure. Yes. Well, particularly um, particularly CBA. Uh, more executives are going for the door. Mm, well, another revolt. I guess, you know, there's... There's change in the air. The times they are changing at CBA. Um, I, I actually went and t- took some money out of the ATM yesterday at CBA, and I, it was it was quite a nice experience because I didn't get charged the two dollars withdrawal fee, and it was I was the first time I had done it since they abandoned the fees, and it was um, you look at it and think, where's the button to push for? Uh, I, I accept the charges, and that had no charges, so that was kind of nice. So you obviously took it out at, at another account. You're not at the CBA. No, no, I, I bank with Macquarie. Oh, okay. okay. I, I'm a bit weird, only because I used to work there and have a staff account still there. So ah. can't, can never have been bothered to have changed it. Well, Macquarie's doing a big promotion everywhere I've seen lately. They're, they're promoting that they want retail accounts, which before they never said they wanted retail accounts. So. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I guess... I guess if they're going to get lumped in with the other four in terms of the uh, the bank levy, you might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe that's that's an area they seek some growth in. Certainly the stock price has gone pretty well recently. And, again, there's been talk about Macquarie getting to the uh, to that magic $100 mark again. But um, you know, they, they sort of seem to have topped out around just around 93 bucks at the moment but um, and come off a little bit from there down to 92 now. So. 
Okay. Mm. And the gold, lots of controversy in WA that they're going to increase the gold royalty and now some of the gold miners have come out and said it'll force their mines into a loss-making position. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, the, the, uh, the WA government is under some pressure in their budget. Um, they, they always say that they don't get the fair share of GST and they're looking at raising some sort of revenue. Um, South Australia had a similar problem, I guess, and was, were, were going to hit the banks with a levy, um, which got knocked back, and Western Australia threatened to do the same. They've also threatened the Nationals, I think, went to the last uh, state election talking about raising the royalty rate on iron ore, which probably would have been a far... Um, far more um, uh, profitable thing for the government to do. But uh, the, the big guys are very powerful and they managed to lobby the government to make sure that didn't happen. But the gold miners, I don't think, have quite the same clout. Um, so they are going to be raising royalty rates um, in WA, it looks like, and that, that will obviously affect uh, some of the Aussie miners. But, um, yeah, well, it's, it's, I guess it's just a, a trend. Um, you have successful businesses and uh, you try and... Um, get as much money out of them as you possibly can to patch up your own budget shortfalls. Uh, budget mismanagement. Budget mismanagement, that's the words I was looking for, Stephen. Yes, exactly. yes. Because it's so, not mismanagement if you allocate some money for your newsletter, is it, Henry? Not at all, no. I'm glad we segued into that. That's, that's very nice. Yes, no. Um, we do try our hardest, but um, so if anyone wants to uh, to have a little look at the, uh, the, uh, the daily stuff that we put out, um, which is quite extensive, marcustoday.com.au is the site. You can sign up for a free trial, talk to our lovely ladies, and uh, and have 14 days to evaluate and see if we offer any um, offer any value, which I've got to say, I think we do, but um, I'm, I'm slightly sure biased. Do. I'm sure you do. Every time I read it, I get a good idea out of it, Henry. Oh, well, that's good. That's, that's good. Right. That's, what I like to, that's what I like to hear. Okay. Cheers, Stephen. So, see you next week, Henry. Thanks for that. Cheers. Bye. Back to finance. No problems there, unless, of course, you haven't planned financially for retirement. <laughs> is that it, Stephen Pritchard? Well, you know, there's a big, there's a big, a lot of baby boomers coming along, and 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 um, I think the baby boomer generations included back to the depending on which calculation in you, you use, I'm either just in it or just out of it. So the early sixties, um, and, and one of the things you need to think about is 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 um, it's never too late to do a bit of planning and it's never too early. I mean, you know, most people don't um, plan to fail. They just fail to plan and end up where they not, don't want to be. So you need to think about where you want to be and, and, and do some things. And the first the first thing you need to start thinking about is is, is how much money you need to um, to retire and what sort of lifestyle you want in retirement. Now, there's various... Um, um, reports around that suggest that to have a reasonably good lifestyle in retirement, you need about sixty thousand a year for a, a couple. So you need to look at um, is that the type of lifestyle you want? I um, mean, just go on the internet and ask the question: what type of income you're in lifestyle? And I think there's a couple of people who've got various publications with tables of you know how much income you need to support your overseas trip and, and, and all this type of stuff. So you need to determine what type of lifestyle. Life, lifestyle you want in retirement. Um, and that means actually doing the mathematical calculations, adding yeah, up everything. Yeah, that might. means you sit down and, and think about what you're spending now and what you'd like to spend in retirement. Now, bear in mind that sometimes there's cost savings in retirement. I mean, you, you might have, for example, you might have um, two cars now because, um, you know, you're both working and, and you know, given the appalling public transport in Newcastle, you basically need a car to get to work and someone might work out of the lake and someone works in a Charlestown or, or 
you know, Port Stevens or something. So you can't do without two cars. But but when you retire, you might be able to do without two cars. You might have uh, children still at school or at university that you're you're putting your hand in your pocket to 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 uh, help pay for those, and they can be quite expensive, particularly if you're paying some school fees and stuff. Um, and and so you need to think about what you're probably the starting point now is to think about what you're spending now, and then do another column about what you're going to spend in. Um, in, in retirement and that's probably your starting point then then once you've done that you can work out you can roughly work out how much money you need to to do in retirement so realistically if you if you if you're going to spend if you're going to need fifty thousand dollars a year in retirement or sixty thousand um, dollars we'd suggest that you need um, somewhere between one million and one point two million dollars of um investable assets and that would mean money that's held in super as an investment or money that's held outside of super as an investment now the most the most tax effective way is to um is to for retirement funding is to to hold money in super but but there's some caps on that these days and it can be difficult to get some money into super so while we're on the super you need to once you've determined how much lump sum you want you need to look at what your superannuation arrangements are and what type of fund you're in now particularly um, you need to pay particular notice if you're in a defined benefit fund there's there's not a lot of those around anymore but the the government sector um, some people at the the university um, there's a uni super which has got defined benefit fund as well now a, a lot of those funds you need to get the booklet um, and and if you can't understand, you get some advice because a lot of those defined benefit funds, um, you can make additional contributions. And when you're getting closer to retirement, the, the payoff is uh, a large, is a large return for the amount of money you need to put in. So I, I'd go and have a look at super defined benefits funds. Make particular care, and then yep, then you need to look at making additional contributions to your fund. Um, so, so you can make up to um, twenty five thousand dollars either via salary sacrifice or, or other deductible contributions, depending on your on your um, status and whether you qualify. So, I'd look at look at um, putting your maximum deductible amount in of twenty five thousand dollars, and then then you can. Um, put in additional assuming you've got the money and bear in mind if, if you're on the top marginal tax rate and you're putting in $25,000 it's only $12,000 coming out of your pocket because you're getting a tax saving of $12,000 um, then the other thing you can look at is is um, non-concessional components now you can put up to $100,000 if you've got the money of non-concessional components and what that means is the money basically goes in the fund you don't get a tax deduction for it but you don't pay any contribution tax now what, why you would do that is that when the money's in the fund it's it's treated as concessional for earnings basis so if you put $100,000 in the fund and, and the only tax you pay on that is 15% on the income that you're deriving from that $100,000 now if if when the fund becomes a pension, you convert it to a pension phase sometime down the track or your account gets converted to a pension phase, you don't actually pay any tax at all on that earnings. So, so you want to look at getting your money into as much money into your superannuation fund up to at least the new um, account balance cap of $1.6 million. Now, is this easier while you're still working? Oh, it depends if you've got the money. <laughs> right. Right. It depends if you've got the money. I mean, this is always a constraint. Um one of the problems we kind of find is that particularly it's going to be a problem with the new contribution caps is that the people who've got the money tend to be 
you know, their late 50s or so to put the money in. And at least what we've seen in the past is when they're over 55, that's when the large contributions go in. Um, but now you've got these contribution caps, so you're not going to be able to 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 put them in as easy as you could before. Yeah, so you've got to have the money. You've got to have the money always. Yeah. And what about after you retire? Is it uh, easy? Uh, uh, you've got to you've got to satisfy various tests, and they can be complicated. So you need a bit of advice on after you retire. It depends on your age, what you can actually put in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course now there's the one point six million dollar contribution cap for pension funds that came in on the first of July two thousand and seventeen. So what that basically means is that um, you can only have one point six million dollars in the tax-free environment of the fund. So you've got $1.6 million, you don't pay any tax on the fund earnings and you pay no tax when the pension comes out. Um, Above $1.6 million, um, it still has to pay 15% tax. So it's still still not a bad um, concessional treatment. Now, one of the things you need to think about is, is... um, and there's various ways you need to look at this. To, to, if, if you start and get large superannuation balances, um, you're getting up near that 1.6 million. You need to look at um, whether there's some way you can allocate that to your spouse because a married couple or a spouse or, or de facto relationship, whatever you want to call it, um, can have $3.2 million. So the 1.6 million, the tax-free component is is on a personal thing, not on a joint thing. So you need to look at, if you want to maximise your, your tax-free status, um, which will give you 3.2 million, um, look at how you can get some contributions into the other uh, uh, um, the other partner. Now, there's various ways you can do that. Um, you know, the non-concessional amount, you might put in the partner's name instead of your own if, if they're not working, or you could, might put in... Um, you might run a re-contribution strategy where you take some money out of the fund and, and put it back in in the partner's name. There's various ways you can you can get to that level. And the other thing you need to look at, um, your non-superannuation investments, yeah. um, how they're held, um, because bear in mind your income is going to change after, if you particularly if you you only got one of you working. Your income's going to change. So the person who was the main breadwinner before is no longer going to be the breadwinner. So you want to make the, the most of the tax-free thresholds that are available. So it may be opportune time to transfer um, some of the investments from from one spouse's to the other to even up the marginal tax rates, or even make just make new investments in the spouse's uh, the other spouse's name. Um, more sophisticated ways can involve establishing um, family investment companies or trusts or things like that for, for large amounts of money. And of course the most important thing um, you need to think about is your asset allocation of your superannuation fund. Um, we always try and have um, about three years pension requirements in a in a term deposit or capital guarantee type investment. So you know that your next three investments so next three years um, pension requirements are covered and you don't have to worry about fluctuations in the market from day to day to make sure you can meet your pension requirements fantastic that is thursday finance for today uh, back next thursday thanks for listening to this podcast from 2nurfm at the university of newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being pet care finance business and travel You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.